You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, episode number 131. Hopefully you had a fantastic week and you plan on having a fantastic weekend. The weather has been surprisingly nice. I know there's supposed to be a little bit of snow, a little bit of rain, and a little bit of chilliness. But we're starting to get some warmer days, upper 40s, 50s. I think we touched low 60s uh, one day this week. So spring in nice weather is on the horizon. And I cannot be any more excited to help tone down that excitement. I do must remind you that today is the last episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk Season 1. Season 1, last episode. Season 2, as you may know, will kick off. Sorry, I'm like trying to drink water and finish chewing. I'm just, I'm very behind today. I'm recording at 1125 and I want to try to give you guys a half hour, 40 minute episode and I got to try to jam as much info as I can. But April 1st is the return of Murph's Boston Sports Talk season two. Yeah, April 1st, haha, April Fool's. No, no, no. It is no April Fool's joke. It is legitimate. April 1st, Obviously, I just kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit. We've covered a ton of football. We did cover a ton of baseball when it was in season and basketball and hockey accordingly. Just want to kind of let the podcast breathe a little bit, give myself a small little rest because I've been doing this for 13 straight months. So I think a nice little break would be nice. And also, it gives me a little bit of time to recharge the battery so I can come full force when season two kicks off. So as I promised, I will be talking about all four of the major 
sports teams here in Boston. Obviously, baseball will be more about the lockout than the Red Sox themselves. But the Bruins, the Celtics, and of course the Patriots. Let's dive into baseball first because I feel like that's going to be the quickest conversation that we have, which I wish I wish it wasn't, but it probably will be. The players and the owners met on the 17th, I believe, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And the meeting was 15 minutes. 15 minutes long. Now, obviously, during a lockout where the owners and the players can't decide on this or that with this and that, you would think it'd be longer than 15 minutes. Yeah, you're damn right. I would, too. But it wasn't. 15 minutes. Uh, Let's see. This article is written by Ken Davidoff from the NewYorkPost.com titled MLB Lockout Talks Reach New Low with 15 Minute Meeting as Opening Day Doomsday Looms. I'm not going to read the full article, but I do want to kind of highlight a few points that he talked about in the article. Um, a quote from Mets, Luis Guillermo tweeted, I'm pretty sure I've had at-bats longer than this meeting because on Thursday we were able to be provided a beautiful scene outside much less so inside the MLB Players Association Manhattan headquarters where the collective bargaining session lasted merely 15 minutes. Yeah, at-bats have been longer than that meeting. Obviously, you get a nice little 12-13 pitch at-bat or so. Yeah, probably around a 15-minute because pitchers and just take so long. Anyways, uh, let's see. This is the first. Was the scoreboard now reads six meetings. Five in person since Rob Manfred locked out the players on December 2nd. The first one, notably not occurring until January 13th, and the two sides still stand so far apart that with spring training already delayed, the idea of holding opening day on the scheduled March 31st seems more ludicrous with each counter proposal. I will give both sides credit since January 13th when they've met first. I will give each side props for meeting six times, right? <laughs> I mean, six times in just over a month or so. That's, you know, average one point, I don't know, like two meetings a week. So I will give them credit. But it's not good enough. It's clearly not good enough because we're getting absolutely nowhere. The MLB Players Association has offered to meet every day next week with February 28th the obvious deadline to get a deal done in time. And multiple sources confirmed an ESPN report that players and owners will fly in with the intention of meeting regularly. Whether that frequency and the urgency led to more fruitful discussions remain to be seen. Nevertheless, it's increasingly obvious what needs to break this stalemate. I believe Rob Manfred came out yesterday as well. I think it was before the meeting, maybe after. I'm not exactly sure. That in order to preserve a 162-game regular season, a deal between the union and the owners need to get done before February 28th. That is Monday. That is literally nine days, right? Yeah, give or take nine days. If a deal's not done by then, then March 31st is going to get delayed. Opening day will get delayed. 162 could either be pushed back, where we're playing into November, but Rob Manfred has already said that he doesn't want to play into mid-November. So 162 will get chopped down. And 
when are we going to see the start of baseball? May 1st? June 1st? It's just so many questions that are still looming. And it's all for the major, still the major issues, the luxury tax, getting younger players paid sooner, arbitration, the tanking phenomenon. What do you do with that in terms of draft select, like spots where you're drafting? It's, oh, it's just so irritating. Oh, and then on top of that, the postseason format. Like, can that, can we put that on the back burner? Do we really need to go from six to seven? Is that really going to halt things in terms of figuring out the CBA? Like, can the postseason in the playoffs be the last talking point that we get to once everything else is decided? Can we then talk about postseason instead of, you know, it being on the forefront, which apparently it kind of seems like it is right behind uh, the luxury tax and getting younger players paid? It feels like they're worrying about how many teams are going to be in the postseason rather than trying to stop other teams from tanking. Like, I don't care if there's six or seven. Like, let's figure that out another day, another time in life. So, my thoughts, my initial, well, I guess my exiting thoughts on the lockout until April 1st, where hopefully we have a season. And obviously, I will still be posting online, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, updates about the lockout my thoughts about said lockout, and hopefully when the lockout is over. But right now, as I sit, with being with today being the last episode of Season 1 for Merv's Boston Sports Talk, I just don't know. Obviously, 28th, we finally have a deadline when spring training needs to start and when the lockout can end. That is the time. That is the day. Do I think we will get somewhere between now and then? The optimistic side of me says, I hope, and I think we will. With the players and the uh, owners going to meet every day next week, you would think that those recurring meetings and those regular meetings will amount to something. But when yesterday you had a 15-minute meeting, it's just hard for me to believe that. I'm going to be optimistic, and I want to be excited for baseball and I'm going to say they will get it done but I'm not confident in that that's just optimism and hope but in terms of confidence and what I realistically believe in I don't think we'll get it done I don't think so so we'll just have to wait and see we will just have to wait and see I hope baseball doesn't get delayed I hope we get 162 Hopefully we can get something figured out before the 28th of February where there could be a delay. Because come the 28th, if there's nothing, we're going to see 162 delayed. We're going to see baseball in a lockout further than it already has been. And the sport is struggling as it is. Yeah, yeah, ratings were nice last year and in 2020. Fantastic. But that's still covering the bigger issue in baseball. Yeah, we saw an uptick in women watching baseball we've seen an uptick in younger kids watching baseball and last year it was nice to have a full 162 season after a 60 game regular season 2020 so people were starving for baseball there wasn't basketball there wasn't hockey there wasn't football going on in the middle of summer the playoffs were nice they were exciting the way that they were but it's still struggling behind football Hockey, I, I don't know where basketball ranks you know, now because I know people have their own issue with basketball. But baseball is taking a back seat 
compared to some of these other sports. And if this lockout proceeds any longer than the 28th of February, then those casual fans will be impacted. Now, I don't know if you're a casual fan or not. I'm a hardcore fan. I'm a diehard. I will watch baseball regardless as, you know, as regardless of a wild situation as the lockout has been and as infuriating as the lockout has been, whenever baseball returns, whether it's March 31st for game one of 162, May 1st of game one of 140, I, I don't know. I will be there. But the casual fan may not be there. And baseball will lose casual fans because it is a hard sport to sit down, watch, and get into. There's a lot of players to know. There's a long season. Games are three hours, three plus hours long. So it's very difficult. It's not like where it's football, where it's just one game a Sunday. Basketball, where it's rather quick pace. Oh, hockey is very quick, quick paced. So baseball needs to figure this out before the 28th of February. Will they get it done? I don't know, but let me know. Do you think they will get it done? Whose side are you on, the players or the owners? I want to hear your thoughts and opinions about this because you guys have heard mine for a very, very long time. I guess that was pretty good timing by Kim, who just called me in the middle of recording, so I guess that's a sign that I need to stop ranting about baseball and just kind of switch and pivot to, let's talk about the Bruins and hockey, shall we? Last night, they lost 4-1 to to the New York Islanders. Three goals in the third period. That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. They were tied 1-1 entering the third, and they just couldn't rebound. They just couldn't figure it out. And the Bruins have been playing <sighs> mediocre as of late. They had a hot June, but they've kind of sizzled, sizzled out since then. Am I surprised? I don't want to say that I am. But they kind of have a little bit. Bruins are still the second wild card, and they're seven points behind the Capitals. They're six points above the Red Wings. They need to do something. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. They're nine points behind the Maple Leafs in the Eastern Conference for the number three seed in the uh, in the I'm sorry, not the Eastern Conference, the Atlantic Division. Pardon me. Got to switch sports here. Hockey's a little bit different, so I just got to gear things accordingly. I mean, I feel like I've been saying this for a very long time now. The Bruins need to get some help. They need another center. They need a top four defenseman. Obviously, with Tuka Rask now retired, you lost that veteran goalie that I've been harping and hounding and that they needed. One thing that really kills the Bruins, and I know I've talked about this plenty of times, is the 17 regulation losses. Last night was one of them. The teams ahead of them in both the Atlantic and the Metropolitan Division the Panthers, the Lightning, the Leafs, and then the Penguins, the Hurricanes, Rangers, and Capitals. They all have 10, 11, 12, 12, 11, 13, 15 losses, whereas the Bruins have 17. That is a massive gap. That is a massive gap. Obviously, those other teams are racking up wins. Those other teams are collecting overtime losses where there's 5, 6, 3, 8, 4, 5, 9, and you have 4. I mean, overtime losses count as a point. Obviously, wins count as two, and a loss counts as nothing. But the thing that's eye-gashing me, completely just sucking the life out of me, is the goal differential. Again, in order, plus 56, 
plus 30, plus 45, plus 34, plus 51, plus 23. Capitals plus 26. Bruins plus 1. Every other team in the Eastern Conference is in the negatives. As they should be because they're not in the playoff picture, but you are. At a plus one goal differential, either you need to score more goals or you need to stop giving goals up. And if you look at goals four in the Eastern Conference, uh, you are nowhere near the top. Absolutely nowhere near the top. You are behind the Panthers, Leafs, Lightning, Capitals, Penguins, Hurricanes, uh, Blue Jackets, Red Wings, and the New Jersey Devils. The New Jersey Devils of all teams, who are 17, 28, and 5 with 39 points, have scored more goals than you. Like, come on. And when you look at goals against, it's actually pretty... Uh, hold on. I Whoa, this, this doesn't look right. Hold on. Uh, let's go to League... Uh, no, let's go to conference. I'm trying to figure this out on the fly. They are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th behind the Hurricanes, Islanders, Leafs, Rangers, and Penguins. So your goals against is seemingly not bad. You're 6th in the Eastern Conference. I don't know about the league. I don't really care about the league in the Western Conference. All I care about right now is the Eastern Conference. And you're 6th. Meanwhile, you're towards the bottom of the pack where you're 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11th in the Eastern Conference. Out of 32 teams, you are, or I should say out of 16 teams in the Eastern Conference, you are 11th. 11th. Like, come on. What are we doing? Obviously, it's easier said than done to put the puck in the net, but when you're playing against a team such as the Islanders, who are nowhere near contention right now for a playoff spot as they are the second actually hold on uh let me get this organized by points again where they're 42 points should be well out of the picture drop four goals on you and you score one whereas the islanders have given up 123 goals all season so it is all not terrible but 109 is towards the bottom of the eastern conference and you give up a four spot 3-5-2 in the last 10 games for the Bruins is not going to cut it. This conference is too good. Again, I do not care about the Western Conference at all. I don't care about how good the Avalanche are where they have seven, a league-leading 74 points. I don't care. Poor Kraken. They're down at the bottom, 16-30-4. They only got 36 points, but it's their first year. Got to give them credit. So I don't care. I don't care about the West. But the Bruins need to get goal scoring. It seems like that's been a problem for numerous years now. Last year was a problem. You brought in Taylor Hall. That helped significantly. That helped. Is there another Taylor Hall out there? I don't know. I keep hearing Connor Garland's name being brought up from Arizona Coyotes. Is he going to help? Absolutely. But what are you going to have to do to? Uh, what are you going to have to give up to get him? And come. Actually, no, I think the trade deadline's in March. Went in NHL. Oh, it's in March, so we're not even going to get a chance to talk about it. But there's tons of options out there. Uh, let's see. There's an article on NBC Boston real quick. Where Bruins stand in NF NHL playoff race as deadline appears. Uh, there's just, they're fourth in the Atlantic division. They're second in the wild card, like I've already mentioned. 
It's tough. It's tough. Patrice Bergeron is out with a concussion right now. Is he going to be back next year? I honestly really don't care about next year right now. But it is a question you got to consider. It is something you have to consider. Because are the Bruins going to make moves for this year and try to give you a playoff push this year? Or are they just going to kind of see the teams ahead of them where they're clearly better and just kind of pack it in and be like, let's just you know brace for next year and hope we can be better next year? Yeah, you're a playoff team now. But do you want to be out in the first round, in the second round, when you have Stanley Cup aspirations? Or are they just going to sit and kind of muddle in the middle for this year, maybe next year and the year after that? All I know is this trade deadline will be very, very telling for the Bruins. What they do at this deadline will determine the future of this team, not only for the rest of this year, but next year as well. Hopefully the Bruins can make a big splash and really try to come back up the ranks in the Eastern Conference, whether it's in the wild card or in the Atlantic Division, because it's still there. It's still on the re- uh, the cusp. You're still there. But the biggest thing that separates the Bruins from the other teams in the Atlantic is no longer there, and that was games played. Bruins currently have 48 games played. The Panthers have 48, the Lightning have 49, and the Maple Leafs have uh, 47. Beforehand, you would be you'd be down like six, seven, eight points by uh, behind them, but you played four or five less games than them. Hypothetically speaking, you win four or five of those games, you're able to vault up into the standings. Where the games have leveled out, you don't have that luxury anymore. You're still four games behind the Capitals, who are seven points ahead of you. So theoretically, if you win the difference in those games, you get eight points you'll vault them for the number one wildcard spot. Bruins, they're tough. I mean, they have, and I've said this for a long time, they have the best chance to win here in Boston. They do. We saw what happened with the Patriots, and no one really expected the Patriots to win the Super Bowl this year. People expected the Red Sox to be kind of in the middle of the pack, maybe do better than 2020, obviously do better than 2020, but no one thought they would reach the American League Championship Series. Celtics, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot, but they did have a nice nine-game winning streak snapped. I'll talk about them in a few moments. And you got the Bruins, who made it to the semifinal round last year, who has a good roster. A lot of it's coming back. A lot of uh, a lot of their roster is new additional pieces. Maybe the Bruins aren't the closest team to win championship in Boston. Maybe it is the Red Sox, seeing they got the furthest last year. But all I know is the future of the Bruins will be told on or before March 21st when the trade deadline comes and goes. But until then, hopefully the Bruins can snap out of their 3-5-2 in their last 10. They're on a two-game losing streak right now. Can we go 9-10 or 9 wins in 10 games? Can we go 8-1-1 maybe? That'd be nice. Or you can do a 7-1-2 just trying to get some points even though you're taking a loss. Hockey is about points. I've preached about this several times, and those that know hockey recognize how important points are. If you're going to lose, at least lose an overtime or shootout. So you still get a point out of it. That's going to be it for the Bruins. The new Super Beats Hard Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. 
Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Let's jump over to the Celtics where they just lost a terrible game to the Detroit Pistons. They just had a nine-game winning streak where they blew out the 76ers, where they blew out the Nuggets. Actually, they didn't blow out the Nuggets. Excuse me. They blew out the Nets. They blew out the Magic. Like, they blew out the Heat the end of January. But you play the Pistons here at home and you lose to them by one damn point. Overall, overall, Celtics have jumped to the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference. They only have a half-game lead over Toronto, and they're two games behind Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Philadelphia for the three, four, and five seeds. Celtics are right there. Did I expect them to get back into this spot? No. But I did hope for it. I absolutely hope for it. I believe I stopped talking about the Celtics when they were the, I think they fell as low as the 11th seed. And I stopped talking about the Celtics. And since then, they've been playing well. But if you've been following me on social media, at Murph's Cartown, whether it's on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever, you'll know that I'm not buying into this team. I'm not. They're 20 and 11 at home, which is fantastic, but they're 14 and 15 on the road. The trade deadline has come and gone, but they can't win games on the road. There's no way they're going to get additional pieces unless it's through the buyout market, which they could add a player or two, but those players might want to go to the Heat or the 76ers or the Nets or the Lakers or the Warriors or the Suns, the Bucks, because they know they'll have a stronger chance at winning. And the Celtics have a good case to win. Like I said, they're only two games behind the defending champions. They're two games behind the Cleveland Cavaliers who are playing exceptionally well basketball right now. And then the 76ers as well. They're two games behind them. I want to think that the Celtics can make some noise in the playoffs. But again, I'm not going to buy into it because they are 9-1 in the last 10 games. They just came off a 9-game winning streak. But they lost to the damn Pistons of all teams. Come on. That should be a win right there. You should be able to have beaten the Pistons and carry that win streak to 10 games. Now, if it's just a small little hiccup and they're able to go out and beat the the Nets next Thursday when the All-Star break comes and goes and they got another matchup with the Pistons the 26th and then the Pacers on the 27th and then March 1st against the Hawks, if they're able to win three or four of those games, then okay. Especially that Nets game. That's going to be a big game. Then okay, I can kind of see it being a small little hiccup that didn't really affect them. But in those four games after the All-Star break, and they lose three or four of them, because you lost all your momentum. It's fantastic to have all this momentum going to All-Star break, be 9-1, and one, sit, com- sit comfortably in the sixth spot, and rest. Obviously, the rest is important. But sometimes where you're as hot as the sun, you don't want a break. You don't want the all-star break because you want to keep that momentum going and going and going and going. But two big takeaways for me, for me going into the all-star break for the Celtics. And as we exit the all-star break, obviously on the other side of it and moving forward is the Celtics have to win on the road because if they're going to be the sixth seed entering the playoffs, hypothetically, let's say, or seven Maybe they get the eighth, who knows? They're going to be on the road. And this team 
cannot consistently win on the road. At home, they're 20-11. and 11. That's fantastic. But, six seed, you're not going to have home court advantage, so you're going to be playing more games on the road. And I want to see the team win more on the road. And the second point is, stay hot. Don't let this nine-game winning streak cause us to have recency bias and thinking and believing that the Celtics can actually do it this year, right? That they can actually make some noise and get back to the Eastern Conference Finals or upset the Bucks in the first round or the Cavs in the first... Actually, uh, seeding-wise, would be an upset, but like hypothetically speaking, Celtics roster is better than the Cavaliers roster. Let's just all be honest. But that's why I'm not buying into this team because I've seen it too many times. I've seen it too many times where the Celtics get hot and then they fizzle out and fall short. They did it last year. They did it uh, in the bubble. They did it the year before. They've done it multiple times throughout seasons. They will be mediocre for a huge chunk. They will go on a massive winning streak or a fantastic month. Get you all to believe and get you all to buy in. Listen, I am guilty in that party as well. I've bought in to fraud as well with the Celtics. And I refuse to do it right now. I'll buy into the Celtics come the playoffs. How about that? If the Celtics make it to the playoffs and they're, say, the four seed, I'll buy in then. Doesn't mean I'm not a Celtics fan for not buying in right now, but I'm just very, very cautious. Because the Celtics have fooled us time and time again. But between now and when Season 2 starts on April 1st, we will get a vivid, a clear 4K picture of what the Celtics season is going to look like, what it's going to unfold to, where they're at, and if this nine-game winning streak was fraud or if it was actually legitimate. With that being said, let's transition and jump over to the New England Patriots. And I want to talk about the Patriots, not the Super Bowl. I know we did a ton of Super Bowl chatter. We did a ton of playoff chatter. But I want to talk about the Patriots in particular before we wrap up Season 1 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Now, I'm an avid sports radio listener. I love 98.5 The Sports Hub. I love WEEI. I love listening to those guys. I agree with a lot of them, and I disagree with some of them. But Greg Bedard, Michael Hawley, and Mike Felger all went over top five needs for the Patriots in the offseason. And I'm going to read all five, all three of their top fives, and then I'm going to break it down and kind of give you my opinion on it. Greg Bedard's top five. Now, this is an article from NBCSports.com slash Boston. And if you want to read the full article, literally just type in Patriots uh, 2022 offseason. And it'll probably be like the first one where it's like top five needs. Greg Bedard's top five. I don't know if it's in order, like one to five, but let's just say it's not. One, a real offensive coordinator. Two, top man corner. Three, slot receiver. Four, fast linebacker. Five, nose tackle. I guess I'll break this down first before I go into uh, Hollies and Felgers. A real offensive coordinator. Yes, you absolutely need to bring in a uh, Bill O'Brien. I hate saying it, but Adam Gase still has a good offensive mind, and I think Bill Belichick will kind of be able to reel him in so he's not so terrible like he was with the Dolphins and the, uh, the Jets. But someone that has experience, knows how to call an offense, whereas Bill Belichick doesn't need to because right now he's wearing too many hats and he's not delegating. Top man corner, I do believe that's J.C. Jackson, whether it is 
bringing JC JC uh, Jackson back, I think having another cornerback with JC Jackson is more of a need than just bringing in a top man corner. Obviously, you can franchise JC Jackson. You can re-sign him. I strongly recommend that you don't let this guy go because he's all you have. You got Jalen Mills. You got Joan Williams. You got Jonathan Jones. He's a slot corner. You need J.C. Jackson. You probably need someone else. Number three, slot receiver. Yes, Jacoby Myers did very good in the slot, but I'd like to see him kicked out to the outside a little bit. You need a Edelman. You need an Amendola. You need a Welker. Someone that can go in the middle, someone that can run short routes and be a security blanket, or someone that's going to make the tough catches in the middle of the field for Mac Jones. I've said it numerous times on the podcast and here at the shop with people coming in talking about Mac Jones, and I always say this. Mac Jones would have thrived if he had Julian Edelman and James White this year. Obviously, he had James White, and then he got injured, and Edelman retired before the season. But just imagine what the off. Yeah, I know Edelman's older, and White's starting to get older himself. But they would have been fantastic. Veterans, knowledge of the offense. They'd be security blankets, make tough catches. Exactly what Mac Jones would have needed. Fast linebacker. Yes, we are slow at the linebacker position. We are very, very slow at the linebacker. Dante Hightower, Jawan Bentley. What is Josh Uche going to do? What is Anthony Jennings going to do coming back from injury? What about Chase Winovich? Patriots need a Micah Parsons. <laughs> You're not going to find those everywhere you go, but you need someone that can give you speed, that can cover. Dante Hightower is a good pass rusher, yes. But you need a Fred Warner type player in the middle of the field who can drop back into zone or cover linebacker, uh, who can cover tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. Right now, they don't have that. And then number five, a nose tackle. I kind of disagree with that. I think Christian Barmore is the nose tackle you want and you're looking for. He had a fantastic rookie season. And I want to see his growth grow even more. So I think the front four is pretty good right now. Obviously, you might be able to tweak a few things. But linebacker and secondary is more of a focal point than me than nose tackle or the front four in general. All right, now let's break down Michael Hawley's top five Patriots needs for this offseason. Number one, home run hitter on offense. Completely agree. You need a number one wide receiver, whether it's Calvin Ridley or Allen Robinson, I don't know if you're going to be able to draft one, but you need a home run hitter on offense. You absolutely need a number one for Mac Jones. So Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers can fizzle out to the two and the three where they should belong and where they will excel. Whereas JC Jackson, I'm not J, excuse me, uh, Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne are drawing teams number one corners and they're having poor play because of it. Number two, home run hitter on defense. Uh, again, you need a fast linebacker in the middle. You need to have J.C. Jackson as your number one corner, bringing a number two. I think your front four is fine for now. But home run hitter on defense, I would like to see come from the linebacking position. Name Mayo, defensive coordinator. Yes, I completely agree. I know Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick have been kind of splitting defensive coordinator calls, I guess. Just name Mayo the guy. I would really like to see, and I think the team will kind of support that decision. Hire Bill O'Brien or Eric Bieniemy. Uh Bill O'Brien, yes. Eric Bieniemy, no. He's with the Chiefs right now, and I think he's more of a product of Patrick Mahomes, if anything, hence why he has not gotten any head coaching positions. He's gotten a ton of interviews, but he hasn't gotten a head coaching job because I think teams realize that he's a product of Patrick Mahomes. 
I think I could coordinate the offense for the Chiefs, and I would do pretty good with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey as my weapons. Bill O'Brien, I completely agree with. I know I mentioned Adam Gase, but I would love, 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 love to see Bill O'Brien. Number five, re-sign J.C. Jackson. Absolutely. All right. Now let's go to Mike Felger's top five. And I absolutely love his top five, or I should say four. Number five is not not a good one for me, but here we go. Number one, slot slash quick get off wide receiver. Again, going back to the slot position that we were talking about, a number one receiver is more so what I want to see, but I think a slot receiver would be absolutely beneficial. Doesn't mean your number one receiver can't be your slot guy or doesn't mean a slot can't be your number one guy. Look at Welker, look at Edelman. They can perform as your number ones in the slot. Speed on defense, again, I'd love to see that come from the linebacking position. Your secondary needs to get revamped. Is Devin McCourty going to be back next year? Who knows? He's slowed down. A number two corner that can really keep up with the Tyreek Hills of the world and all these other receivers that are very fast in their own right. Number three, offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach, Bill O'Brien, Adam Gaze. Give me someone with experience and don't just promote someone from within because if you do that, there's going to be more on Bill Belichick's shoulders and he's going to have to wear too many hats. And I think the team will be very deficient in that way. So bring someone who can take that role, whether it's Charlie Weiss when he was here, Josh McDaniels when he was here, Bill O'Brien, and when Josh McDaniels came back, those guys were the OC quarterback coach. Bring in someone with experience to do that. Number four, cornerback. I've already mentioned it. Resign J.C. Jackson. Bring in a number two cornerback because I do believe Jackson can be your number one. But you cannot let him go. You absolutely cannot let him go because if you let him go, you're going to have absolutely nothing and your secondary is going to suck. Number five, this is the one I disagree with, a quarterback. I don't think we need a quarterback. You obviously have Mac Jones. There's rumors and murmurs where the Patriots could trade Mac Jones and some draft picks for Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. And if you would do that or not, me personally, I, I don't think I would. I really don't. If it's Russell Wilson, maybe, maybe, but it just depends on what the pack. You already used a first-round pick on Mac Jones. How many other first-round picks are you going to have to give up? What else are you going to have to give up? Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are going to be $30, $40 million on your salary cap, plus they're older. Aaron Rodgers, 38. Yes, he just won MVP back-to-back years, so he's still at the top of his game. Russell Wilson's 32 or entering his age 32, 33 season. So he's getting older, but obviously he's a little bit younger than Aaron Rodgers. I just think Mac Jones is the guy. He fits your offense the best. Not that Rodgers or Wilson wouldn't, but I just don't think you have the ammo to go out and get one of those guys. Hence why I don't want to bring in anybody else unless it's a backup. But I think Brian Hoyer's a very good veteran leader, backup, mentor for Mac Jones. And those are Felger's, Holies, uh, Hollies, excuse me, and Greg Bedard's top five needs for the Patriots. To recap that, to give you my top five needs, where I agreed and disagreed with some of theirs, in no order, I have number one receiver, a coverage linebacker, and with coverage, I mean speed. So we have a number one receiver, coverage slash fast linebacker, you need a second corner. You need an offensive coordinator. 
and you need to re-sign J.C. Jackson. I don't care what order that goes in. Those are my five that I five needs that I need the Patriots to do, that I want them to do in order to help set them up for success in 2022. But guys, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, whoever's listening, wherever they're listening, that is going to do it for today's episode. I really appreciate you downloading, listening, and enjoying. Please, please, please reach out to me via social media at Murph's Cartown with any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to talk about, anything you want to debate, argue, discuss, or simply just talk sports. Reach out to me via at via social media at Murph's Cartown, excuse me. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, please leave those comments down in the comment section below. Also, like the video if you enjoyed it, and please consider hitting that giant red subscribe button as I would greatly appreciate the love and support. But that is going to do it for today's episode, episode number 131 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. That is going to conclude season one of the podcast, and I'm really, I'm bittersweet. You know, I love doing this podcast. It's been a part of me for 13 months now. It was the the stepping stone of this whole brand, this whole company, this whole vision that I have being Murph's Car Town and Sports Shop. But Murph's Boston Sports Talk, January 2021, was the foundational piece that blossomed everything into what it is today. And I'm not saying goodbye. I guess I'm saying until next time. I don't want to go. I don't want to I don't want to end the recording. It's cuz once I end this recording, I'm not going to do another one until April 1st. And just to reiterate, April 1st, not April, I'm not joking around. It's an actual serious thing. It just happens to be a Friday is when season 2 will start with episode number 132. I'm just going to roll right over into season 2, carrying over the episode numbers. And I wanted to do Friday, the first Friday in April that just so happens to be April Fool's Day because I'll be able to talk and kind of catch back up on Friday and then roll into Monday, uh, revisiting conversations, talking about stuff over the weekend, whatever it may be. I'm really excited for that. And like I said, I'm going to be active on social media with news that breaks, whether it's for the Patriots, Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox, or baseball. I'll still be very active on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. So definitely make sure you're following me on all platforms at Merce Cartown. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already, if you're listening on audio-only platforms. Subscribe to the YouTube channel because there's going to be a ton of content that I will still be releasing on YouTube, whether it's MLB lockout updates or pack openings or doing top five videos of this and that. There's a lot of stuff on the YouTube channel to help bridge the gap between today being the last episode of season one and April 1st, the first uh, episode of season two. So this isn't goodbye. This is till next time. It's just, it's bittersweet. I don't want to, I don't want to stop recording. It's, it's really bittersweet to put a pause on something that has been a part of my daily life for 13 months. So I, I apologize for dragging this out. I'm not trying to on purpose. It's it's just 
it's 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 tough. It's a little tough. And yeah, I could keep going and going and going, but I, I just want to take a small break and just recharge the battery real quick. That's all I want to do. So <laughs> I guess I got to end this at some point, right? I don't want to keep you guys any longer than you've already listened to as we're just about 42 minutes in. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying episode number 131 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to follow me on social media at Murph's Card Town if you haven't already. Again, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying on all audio-only platforms where you can find where you can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. And you can also find the podcast on YouTube at Murph's Card Town and Sports Shop. That is the YouTube channel. And for those listening on YouTube, I really appreciate you liking the video, commenting down below, and hitting that giant red subscribe button as I greatly appreciate the love and support. That is going to do it for this one. I will catch you in the next one for Season 2 on April 1st for Episode number 132. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you, and I will always, always, always see you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.